Lord for uh, this time that we can have to study God's word. It's wonderful to be back here at WCOI. And um, I must confess that I struggled with recording into a camera. <laughs> I can see Charlie uh, also nodding. Uh, so it's really good to be here and uh, to see you all, to see a uh, part of your faces because everybody is wearing masks. Um, but but it's, uh, it's such a joy. And also, uh, greetings to everyone who is uh, watching right now uh, from their homes. Uh, we've been worshipping the Lord. And as we've been worshipping the Lord, the theme that we've been concentrating on is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And, um, you know, the question that comes to our mind immediately is that in response, oh Lord, you know, what can I do? You know, how, how do I respond to this great love, this great sacrifice that you have shown for me on the cross of Calvary? And one of the responses is what we've been doing here, which is remembering him just as the Lord asked us to do. But then what about the rest of the six days? How do we live? Uh, Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, he addressed that when he said that live your lives or offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And then he goes on to speak about a transformed life and a renewed mind. That's a question that we should be thinking about. Lord, what about Monday onwards? How do I worship you? How do I respond to this great love that you have shown to me the rest of the week? Um, in the medieval times, there were uh, believers who thought about this question. And among the artisans of medieval Europe, there was a movement that started, which was called as Corum Dio. That's Latin term for before the face of God. Corum Dio. Each man saw himself as living out his whole life before the face of God. Everything that he did. He dressed up to please God, not man. He was careful in his speech because God was listening. He labored diligently and was honest because God was watching. Corum Dio Carpenters finished the top side of a table with great care as that is what fetched the money. But the underside of the table was done even more exquisitely for the eye of God. There's a book that has been written by a lady called Nicole Johnson. She wrote a book called The Invisible Mom. You know, that, that title should tell us something, right? About the invisible things that we do. And a lot of times we end up feeling that who is watching, who is appreciating. You know, nobody even says a thank you for all the things that I labor. And she speaks about how she went through this phase of feeling that my children, my husband, nobody really cares about what I do. Nobody really appreciates what I do. It doesn't matter. You know, what I do and the effort that I put in doesn't really matter. And she says that one, one day, um, uh, a friend of hers gifted her a book, which was describing the cathedrals of Europe, which were built during the medieval times, during the times when artisans were doing things under this, uh, under this passion of Corum Dio, doing things before the eyes of God. And uh, she says that in that book about the medieval cathedrals of Europe, uh, there's a story, a legendary story in the book told of a rich man who came to visit the cathedral while it was being built. And he saw a workman, an unknown workman. You know, it's not uh, the fancy architect, not the, uh, you know, not the artist who is painting. He's just a workman 
carving a tiny bird on the inside of a beam he was puzzled and asked the man why are you spending so much time carving that bird into a beam that will be covered by the roof no one will ever see it and the workman replied because god sees it korum do your living our lives before the face of god the things that others don't see the the things that others will not appreciate the times when nobody is watching how do we live the rest of the six days daniel's life is a beautiful representation in the bible of korum dio life lived before the face of god for the glory of god and as uh, um uh, you know sometimes in the past we've uh, got the opportunity to go through the last five chapters of daniel we've seen how that has displayed in different situations in different times uh, but right at the first uh, chapter itself you know we see from uh, the very beginning you know from the time that he was just a teenager about 15 years old when he was brought uh, into captivity in babylon from that that time itself how this attitude was um, displayed um and towards the end of chapter 1 in verse 21 uh, it says and daniel remained there until the first year of king cyrus that is almost like book ending it and saying that right from the time of nebuchadnezzar which is when daniel was about 15 years old till uh the time of king cyrus which is when daniel would have been about 90 years old throughout all of that time daniel remained and he remained faithful so in this about 70 year period uh about four to five kings came and went you know ruling over uh, babylon uh, there was nebuchadnezzar then there was belshazzar who came nabonidus who came and then darius and cyrus uh depending on whether you think uh, or or whether uh, you know darius or cyrus were the same people or two different kings at least four to five kings came and went two kingdoms came and went the babylonian and the medo persian but one person remained through this all and that was daniel through all of these 70 years daniel remained nations came and went but god's work continued and no nation was really significant when set against the backdrop of what god was doing and and god's eternal plan and how he used daniel in the in all of that in fact um, uh, god uses nebuchadnezzar himself to declare this in chapter 4 and verse 17 that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people in isaiah 40:15 we read behold the nations are like a drop of a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance god truly rules in history and now when we come to chapter 6 we see that uh, how uh, you know the culmination of all of this the culmination of daniel's uh, life is what we see here um and like i was saying you know uh, darius and cyrus you know both the kings are mentioned in chapter 6 uh it's most likely that they were both the same people and that darius was just a title like pharaoh or caesar um uh, but um irrespective uh you know the thing is that that is not the most important thing because this mighty king and who he was and all that he did is just in the backdrop what comes through so uh, so clearly when we read uh, daniel chapter 6 is daniel's character 
and how the Lord used him. And there is much that we can draw from this passage, but uh, the Lord has been speaking to me uh, very particularly about our approach towards work, our approach towards the responsibility that God has given us uh, Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday. And there is much that we can learn from Daniel from this passage, uh, and we will focus on that. Daniel's approach towards his work. Um, If you're not employed Please don't think that this message is not for you because whatever life stage you are in, you have some work, some responsibility that God has given you. Uh, Our stages in life itself bring us certain responsibilities, bring us the will of God. A lot of times, you know, we wonder, okay, what is God's will for my life? It is whatever life stage uh, has brought you. God has brought that to you. So it could be your studies. It could be your household work. It could be work at an office. Uh, getting paid for work is incidental. Uh, we, we know that the Lord had given Adam and Eve a lot of work to do and they were not getting paid for it. So the money that we earn is incidental, but the responsibility is God-given. So before we get into the passage, it's important that we start with an understanding that work is a blessing from God. It's not a curse. We see work in the first few chapters of Genesis before the curse itself. It was part of God's perfect plan for humans even before the curse came in. And we also know that our God is a God who works. We see that in Genesis and we continue to see that through revelation that God is someone who works. Therefore, work is actually a better word for believers to use, for people who follow the Lord to use this. Work is vacation. vocation. It is something that God has called us to do. Usually we use the term vocation uh, for people who are called for ministry, right? But if we reset our understanding of work as God-given responsibility, whatever responsibility God has given us, if we start thinking of every work that we do as work that God has called us to do, then it will be vocation for us. Our home, our work at home, our work, our studies in school, our work in office will all be then God-given responsibility, God-given vocation. And not only does God entrust us with our vocation, he also blesses us with the skill required to do that work. Again, there are many verses in the Bible which tell us that both the skill of the hand and the, uh, and the intellect of the mind, wisdom, is given by God. I'll just uh, read two verses for you. When the Lord was uh, telling Moses, Uh, how the tabernacle ought to be built. He also told who are the people who will build it. Uh, And he mentioned the master craftsman's name, Bezalel. And he said that in Exodus 31.3, I have given him, which is Bezalel, I have given him with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of craft. That's God-given skill, whatever skills we have. Um, We read in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. James also says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely. Um, So both the skill of our hands and the wisdom of our mind are God-given. So our vocation, our responsibility, as well as the skill and the wisdom to do it, both are blessing from God and therefore are to be used for his glory. Because 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whatever you do, do it all For the glory of God. So that sets context to, uh, you know, our passage. God gives us a a vocation. God gives us a work, a responsibility, a calling to do 
whatever we are supposed to do. He also gives us the skill and the wisdom to do it. And we ought to do it for his glory. Whatever we do, we ought to do it for his glory from Monday to uh, Saturday as well. So today's passage teaches us what is the right godly attitude towards work when we see it as something which is sacred. When we stop this division between sacred and secular. Okay, that Sunday is when we do the spiritual activities and the rest of the week is when we have to do uh, you know, we have to be in the world and we have to do everything else that we are supposed to do. No, when we see everything as sacred, every responsibility as God given, then um, uh, this passage tells us what will be our attitude uh, when we approach life like that. The vocation that God had entrusted Daniel was to serve as a government administrator. It was like the IAS of today. He started young. Uh, like we saw in chapter one in his teens, but he kept learning and growing at his workplace. Kings came and went, kingdoms rose and fell, but Daniel stayed on. And now in chapter six, he is uh, 90 years old. And that should be an encouragement to the older people as well. uh, uh, That, you know, uh, there is no time, which is too late. Whatever responsibility we have, even in our eighties and nineties, it is something that we can do for the glory of God. So this chapter is a culmination of Daniel's story because in the rest of the chapters from here on, uh, it's an account of the visions that he saw. Uh, But his life story kind of culminates in chapter six. And like I said, this is where we see a godly man's approach towards his God-given vocation, towards his God-given responsibilities. Uh, so, so those are the things that we will try to look at from the passage. We'll just focus on Daniel's attitude towards his vocation, Daniel's attitude towards his work. Um, let's see in verse 3 what it says. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. He distinguished himself. He set himself apart. His attitude towards his work was visibly different. People could see that Daniel does not approach work like everybody else does, right? He doesn't see it as a drudgery. He is different. And he was different not only in front of his manager, not only in front of his boss, but he was also different. He, was, he distinguished himself in front of the rest of the administrators who were the, his peers and also his juniors. So among everyone at his workplace, whether it was his juniors, whether it was his peers, or later on we see the king who was his manager, in front of everyone, Daniel distinguished himself. His attitude towards his work was different and it was visible uh, for people. Then it goes on to say, uh, he, how did he distinguish himself? By his exceptional qualities, by his exceptional character. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't distinguishing himself with, um, with, with, with showing fancy things or uh, trying to impress people, but it was his difference and why he was distinguished was because of his character and because of his exceptional qualities. Um, as we look at this, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the attitude of Daniel towards his work and different things that come from the passage, uh, which described uh, Daniel, let us also evaluate You know, how are we towards the responsibilities, towards our studies, towards our work at home, towards our work at our office? How are we? Do we have these qualities? It goes on to say in verse 4, they could find uh, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. 
he was blameless in his conduct at work you know there was nothing that they could point out and say that you know this is one thing that daniel does not do right at his workplace he was absolutely blameless they could find no fault in him and then it goes on to say that uh, they could find no corruption in him he was uh, not at all corrupt uh, he would never do anything for his selfish gain for himself because he was trustworthy you know he was somebody that uh, people could trust that once given a job daniel will complete it for sure he can be trusted he is he was a faithful person and then it says he was not negligent he was neither corrupt nor negligent he wasn't somebody who was lax with his work who would slack at work he was somebody who was trustworthy and who would never be negligent anything that came to daniel's table would be done and would be done well and he was known for that he was known for that everybody knew that once given a job daniel can be trusted with doing it to the best of his ability uh not only that uh we see in verse 5 what is something else that daniel was known for uh the men who uh who were against him they said we will never find any basis for charges against this man daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his god so his witness at his work was also very clear other people knew that there is a particular god that daniel believes in and follows and he follows the law of that god to the t so his witness was also very very clear who daniel believed in right what was his faith about that was also something that was very evident to the people outside and daniel himself says in verse 22 because i was found innocent in his sight nor have i ever done any wrong before you o king so both before people as well as before the eyes of god before the eyes of men and at times when people would not see right because uh, you know for 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 a lot of situations at home in our schools and in our workplace people might not be seeing but daniel says that even before god i am innocent so that's the kind of life that daniel was living and god allowed king darius to recognize this capability of daniel daniel did not try to promote himself god uh, brought that in front of the king and uh darius wanted to put him in a very strategic place a place of influence you know over even among the three it says um, in verse um, in the end of verse 3 that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom so there was a promotion planned by king uh but you know whenever some such thing happens a uh, lot of times there is jealousy among the others and then there is groupism that happens and people come together and then there are schemes and lies which are formed to try and bring that person down that's something that you and i would have faced perhaps at our workplaces in other places as well uh it is something that is uh is 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 seen so often it is also something that we should be careful about that we don't become part of you know groups which try to pull people other down and which uh, try to uh, create schemes and lies but uh daniel uh, uh you know daniel's response is is really really uh, wonderful there let's see in verse 10 how daniel responds when these people they go to the king and they go with their lies and they try to scheme to bring daniel down verse 10 daniel's first response 
Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room. You know, just think of what would we have done if we were to come to know that people are, you know, creating some kind of a thing to pull us down. What would be our what would be our first response? And look at Daniel's first response. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. And then again in verse 11, it says, asking God for help. They found Daniel praying and asking God for help. That was Daniel's first response. And this is not the first time we've seen it earlier as well. Right When uh, the king asked uh, who can interpret uh, my dream, Daniel went and his friends together, they went and prayed. Daniel's first response uh, in times of trouble was to pray. But it came from a habit of prayer. It wasn't just a one-off. Uh, see what it says? Just as he had done. The end of verse 10. Three times a day he got on, on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before a habit of prayer we talk about muscle memory right this is like that it won't come if it is not a habit if prayer is not a regular habit in our lives if we don't have a schedule for it if we don't have a discipline towards it that's the reason that prayer is called a spiritual discipline it requires discipline but if we don't have that in our lives then in times of crisis that will not be our first response it will not be a first response and that is why, you know, people in emergency situations are trained to give a first response so that it becomes their instinct. Similarly, if we want our first instinct in times of trouble to be to reach out to the Lord, then we ought to create a discipline for that in times when there is, there is no trouble. When life is going on fine also, we need to uh, be able to create that. And we see that in the life of Daniel. Because he had that spiritual discipline of regularly praying, he that was his first response. You know, even in a time of trouble, he went and he prayed just as he had done before. And it's not just in the life of Daniel. We see that in the life of uh, other men of God in the Bible as well. Nehemiah comes to the mind. Um, if you were to just quickly turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, when he goes to King uh, Artaxerxes, and um, you know, the king sees uh, that his face is sad and uh, and the king asks him, and Nehemiah is afraid, it says in uh, verse 2. Uh, and the king asks him in verse 4, what is it that you want? Look at Nehemiah's response. He's standing in front of the king. The king has asked him a question. Nehemiah is supposed to answer. Uh, but it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. You see that? Nehemiah's response in a time of confusion, in a time when he is petrified. What's his first response? I prayed to God before giving the answer to the king. I don't know what kind of a prayer that would have been because you can't just stand in front of a king and start mumbling, right? But, you know, that's perhaps it's, it's what Paul is speaking of when he says, pray without ceasing. It's an attitude of prayer, you know, an instinct, uh, instinctively he reaches out to the Lord and like Daniel, he asks for help. And even in Nehemiah's life, we know that this came out of a previous habit. There's a reason that chapter one uh, describes about uh, what Nehemiah was doing earlier before he went to the king. It says in chapter 1 of Nehemiah verse 4, when I heard these things, when he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
Yeah. So his instinctive response before the king was coming out of a habit that he had formed of going down to his knees and praying. Again, similar to uh, Daniel. So instinctive response comes out of habit and habit comes out of a schedule. It comes out of effort. We see that in uh, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. You know how he had a schedule for prayer. A lot of times uh, we, uh, you know, in today's day and age, don't like schedules. We say that it's okay. So long as my heart is fine. And so long as, uh, you know, I, I'm doing it I, when I get time and that's fine. Uh, you know, and, and then we say that putting schedules and all of that is like legalism and, you know, we shouldn't do that. Uh, but the reality is that habit requires Discipline. Discipline comes out of schedules and, and, you know, after doing things in a regimented way a lot of times. And that's when during times of trouble and instinct, it will come immediately. That will be our first response. So if we are not in the habit of going to the Lord regularly, daily, like Daniel, perhaps multiple times in a day, then in moments of crisis also, we will not go to him first. We will end up using our own wisdom. We will end up going to other people for advice instead of going to the Lord first. So may the Lord help us, like Daniel, to be people who build this discipline in our lives so that during times of crisis, we go to him first. Then we look at the king's response, you know, from verse 14 onwards to 18 that we read. The king was greatly distressed. There is no need for this king to really care about Daniel. But that's the kind of impact that Daniel had on everybody that he worked with. Right? The king was greatly distressed. He did not eat. He did not have his usual entertainment. He did not even he wasn't able to even sleep and he made every effort that was possible, whatever, you know, ways that he would, uh, uh, he could have tried to legally bring, uh, save Daniel. He tried, but he could not. Um, and the other beautiful thing that we see there that the king also knew of Daniel's faith. So it was not just people uh, who saw him pray, but it was also the king who knew of Daniel's faith. The king addresses Daniel in verse 16 and he says, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. The king knew that, yes, Daniel is serving in my, uh, you know, among my officials. He's in my administration, but he's actually serving God. He says, may your God, whom you serve continually. Again, in verse 20, uh, he says, Daniel, servant of the living God. He doesn't say, you know, my servant. He says, servant of the living God. Just look at what kind of a testimony Daniel had. That even at his workplace, people knew that his primary service is to his God. His secondary service is here. But whatever he does, he is actually serving the true and living God. Such a beautiful, um, such a beautiful testimony at his workplace. And, um, you know, this whole thing of, um, um, uh, of, of suffering, even when you have not done something wrong, right, is a theme that we see even later on. Uh, in the New Testament. It's a principle that we see later on. You know, we would think that why would people really have an, uh, you know, an angst against someone like Daniel? You know, he's not hurt anyone. Um, but we see that uh, this is something that um, uh, people of God, they end up facing. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, Peter says that it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So unjust suffering is a reality that believers that you and I will have to face. And Daniel's attitude towards that was that he was uh, bearing it. He was bearing it and he went to God because he was conscious of God's presence in his life. 
uh, and we then you know we're going to see uh, how god wonderfully rescues daniel a question that comes to our mind is uh, um, is does god do that all the time will god uh, rescue us from a situation every single time is god able to do it yes he is able to do it because we see that time and again that uh, the lord can rescue from the um, from the gravest of situations he did that even for uh, daniel's friends shadrach meshach and abednego earlier from the fiery furnace but just like shadrach meshach and abednego had testified that even if the lord does not save us still we will continue to serve him so they were also aware that the lord may or the lord may not right that depends on the lord's will and and his plans and purposes and they said that we submit to whatever the lord wants to do in our lives the lord may rescue or the lord may not rescue and then we go on to see how god uh, you know uh, uh, daniel doesn't take revenge but god takes revenge on behalf of daniel and the very people and we see this as a pattern uh, you know in other places as well the very people who had schemed and the way in which they had schemed to put daniel to an end is the way that they meet their end as well we'd uh, studied a couple of sundays back from the book of esther about haman and how he had schemed against mordecai and haman ended up dying on the gallows that he had prepared to kill mordecai so those are the lord's ways he says that i'm the one who will take revenge you know so the lord does these things in his own ways in his own time but the beauty of this all is how it ends you know it ends with god getting all the glory when we read from verse 25 to 27 we are not read that earlier so i'll just read it out then king darius wrote to all the people this is not daniel writing this is king darius the medo medo persian king who is writing and he says uh he wrote to all the peoples nations and men of every language throughout the land so he is ruling over multiple nations over multiple uh, people over multiple kingdoms with different languages and he writes to them in their own language and he says may you prosper greatly i issue a decree so this is a command that is going out from the king that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the god of daniel so the king is saying that everybody should um everybody should respect the god of daniel for he is the living god and he endures forever our mind goes back to uh, the words that nebuchadnezzar had spoken after the lord restored him you know and when we were reading that passage um, at that time also we felt that it's almost like a psalmist uh, writing a psalm and that's it's similar you know in tone when we read this as well it is like a psalmist is writing a psalm for he is the living god and he endures forever his kingdom will not be destroyed this is the king saying that god's kingdom will never be destroyed his dominion will never end he rescues and he saves he performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth he has rescued daniel from the power of the lions such a uh, beautiful uh, message that is going out uh, some bible commentators have said that uh, this is the message with the largest ever audience eh? there is a message with the largest ever audience because it went out to practically the entire world at that time and who does that god from it goes from a pagan king but the reason for all of that was uh daniel it was daniel uh and beautifully it ends so daniel prospered uh verse 28 so daniel prospered during the reign of darius and the reign of cyrus the persian you know that was god's blessing 
on the life of Daniel for a life that was being lived faithfully for 70 years, right? Lived faithfully at his workplace. A question that we should ask ourselves is, what are we doing with the skills and the abilities and the responsibilities that God has given to us? Uh, God has given us perhaps skills of language, skills of art for numbers and finance, for building technology, uh, skills of logical reasoning and music and perhaps for cooking and baking, uh, skills of handling people, skills of managing projects. And by the way, that's what Daniel was good at. You know, he was, uh, he was a manager. He was, uh, he was in the management, right? And he was uh, uh, getting things done there. Our question should be, how have we been using God-given skills? There are people in the Bible who used their God-given skills for their own desires and to bring themselves glory. Um, and sometimes to lead people away from God as well. Aaron had the skin, skill for metallurgy. What did he use, end up using it for? To build a golden calf. And he took people towards people of Israel towards idolatry. Samson had been given strength by God. He ended up trying to get whatever he wanted using that strength instead of leading God's people, which was a responsibility that God had given him. And God had given him strength to do that responsibility, but he just used, his, used it for his own selfish gains and eventually ended up destroying his own life. Rebecca was really nice, skillful at cooking, but she used that skill to deceive her husband Isaac and to get uh, the inheritance to the son that she loved. We need to think of how are we using our skills? It is, is it for, are we using our skills for God's glory or are we using it for our own selfish gains? We can't be exceptional at everything we do, but we can definitely be faithful at whatever exceptional qualities God has given us. God has given us each of us exceptional qualities. We need to think of what those are and be faithful towards those. Daniel was exceptional uh, and he was also faithful in whatever abilities God had given us. So are we using all of these skills to fulfill the vocation that God has given us for his glory is what we should ask ourselves. May the Lord use the life of Daniel to teach us that in every situation, we see it as a situation that God has brought into our lives and to see whatever work and responsibilities God has given us as our God-given vocation. It's not just work to earn money, but it's our God-given vocation. And therefore, we bring it bring everything to that work, right? That we bring our best to that work so that in whatever we do, we bring God all the glory. Um, one of the things that we can start doing, therefore, is to start praying that, Lord, help me. Help me to have a different, a new attitude towards work. Help me to have an attitude which is uh, doing everything before you, Coram Dio, you know, to do all that you have given me as before your face. And Lord, for that, if you can please give me these character qualities like those of Daniel, you know, that I will be able to distinguish myself and set myself apart in my attitude towards work before my juniors, before my peers and before my seniors. Lord, that I would have exceptional character qualities in a way that is blameless. My conduct at work would be blameless, that I would not be, uh, there would be no corruption or any negligence seen in me, that I'd be trustworthy, that people would be able to trust me at my workplace and that Lord, people would know that I belong to you and that I serve you, that my witness at my workplace will be obvious to people, O oh Lord, and that 
I would be innocent before God and before man and that I would have a habit of prayer. I would build a discipline and a habit of prayer so that that would become my instinct. Um, the song that we sang before the message, it has these words. It says, we are your children called by your name. Humbly we bow and we pray. And what is that prayer? Release your power to work in us and through us till we are changed to be more like you. Then all the nations will see your glory revealed and worship you. And that came true in the life of Daniel. And if we, are, uh, if we pray and if we ask the Lord to help us, that can come true in our lives, irrespective of where God has placed us, uh, whether it's you know, work at home that he has given us or in our schools and colleges or at our workplace. May the Lord help us to uh, fill us with his power so that we can, um, we can reflect him and bring glory to his name. Shall we just bow down our heads and commit ourselves uh, before the Lord towards this end? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, that Lord, we have examples in your word, uh, Lord, of lives like those of Daniel, Lord, who uh, worshipped you through their work, O Master, Lord, who brought you glory through their work, O Lord, Lord, at their workplace, in front of, uh, Lord, their colleagues, O Master, Lord, they were, uh, they were able to reflect you, O Lord, Lord, we pray, O Lord, that you will change our attitude towards work, O Lord, if it's not been like this, O Lord, if, if, if we've seen, as, seen it as drudgery, Lord, if we've seen it as a compulsion, we pray, O Lord, that you will change our hearts, O Master, so that we would uh, learn to start living in a way, uh, Lord, where everything we do is for your glory, O Master. Lord, everything we do, Lord, may it be before your face, O Lord. Lord, uh, uh, Lord there is so much, Lord, that we need to uh, reflect upon. Lord, there is uh, so much, Lord, that we need to change in our lives, O Lord, in the way we live, uh, Lord, from Monday through Friday, O Lord. And we pray, O Lord, that you will, you will continue your good work in us, O Lord, and transform us by the renewing of our mind. We commit ourselves before you, Lord, because it's only with your strength that we'll be able to do this, O Lord. Uh, so we pray, O Lord, that you will continue to work in our lives. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.